I did send a package, a package of these drawings to uh, to Tolkien. Oh. And he actually wrote me back a letter. It was it was typed but signed by hand, and he said that um, he said that I, he was very impressed that I I seemed to be the first illustrator that understood what he meant by uh, with the with the dwarves, but that my elves were way off, and I would I was probably um, I was probably uh, influenced by the appearance of some young lady that I just <laughs> quite true. Very perceptive. Oh, okay. But that, that was a great compliment. You are listening to Geekdom in Powers. Hello, nice to see you again. Welcome back to Geekdom in Powers. Uh, my name is Guy Hasson, and Geekdom in Powers is all about highlighting the less highlighted. Parts of uh, geekdom, geekdom, geekery, nerdiness, nerdiosity uh, of the fantasy, science fiction, horror, and so on, so on, so on world. Um, today we talk to Avi Katz, uh, one of the most famous science fiction and fantasy illustrators in Israel. He has a long history of uh, illustrations and he gets to talk about it here. Uh, stories that span decades which are therefore fascinating, about J.R. Tolkien, about uh, John W. Campbell, about a little bit about George Lucas, about Leonard Nimoy, Neil Gaiman, uh, his iRobot cover, uh, the surprising story about why Photoshop was successful, about Armageddon Khan, the convention that never was, <laughs> the covers of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and so much more. Uh, it is... Nice to see a person going down his own path, the path he believes in, and being able to uh, fulfill himself in that. And also, it is nice to listen to all the history in the stories. So, Avi Katz, as I said, is a pretty big illustrator, famous in Israel, which also is uh, a niche place for science fiction and fantasy, because... In a country of only a few million people, uh, only a few thousand people like fantasy and science fiction, that number has grown a bit once the internet came along and more people found out that there are other people who like the same stuff they do. But these stories span both internet times and pre-internet times. Just one thing before we begin, I apologize for the sound quality. This is the second and last episode which has bad sound quality uh, like this. The stories are worth it. Uh, the sound quality gets better over time. This is also the last time we try to record on Clubhouse. Anyway, here is Avi Katz. Enjoy. Avi Katz, hello. Thank you for coming. My pleasure, especially since I'm sitting in my own room. Yes, exactly. I wanted to talk to you because, well, <laughs> for a few reasons, but uh, I, I wanted to go over uh, a bit of history with uh, you in, in science fiction and uh, your own history in it. And with it, I saw you give like an, an old picture of you giving Leonard Nimoy uh, a picture of himself. Can you talk about that? Well, for about, I think, 15 years, I did the, uh, the covers of the 10th Dimension fan magazine put out by the uh, Israel Society of Science Fiction and Fantasy. And it came out, it was quarterly, it came out four times a year, 
And every time I would do a drawing which connected either with the season or with the news or with a book that had just come out or a movie, and in this case, the magazine was supposed to come out on Sukkot, which is just the time anyway when um, when we have Icon in Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. And I did a uh, I did a painting of uh, Leonard Nimoy as Spock with a kippah that uh, said on it USS Enterprise, and he's in a sort of sukkah in space. And when uh, Nimoy came to visit the uh, the convention a few years later. I made a print, and we gave it to him, and he was very pleased. It's fun. Yeah. The only other time I got to give an original to an author or to a celebrity like that was uh, a Neil Gaiman uh, illustration I did. When he was also uh, in Icon. Yes. What was that painting? What illustration? The magazine had it was a forum for uh, largely for. Translations to Hebrew of uh, outstanding short stories, and Neil Gaiman had a story: uh, snow, apples, ice, something like that. Um, blood, art. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Three names of that. Uh, it was a, it was a topsy turvy, uh, snow white story where Snow White is evil, evil murderous witch, and the poor queen is the victim. So I did a scary. Spooky Snow White, and I was told by someone, I really don't know who, who was in London interviewing uh, uh, Neil Gaiman, they were given the magazine, Neil Gaiman said, who's the, who's the illustrator who did the, uh, the, the black Snow White? So I was very, very pleased by that, and when he came to Icon, I, we made prints of the cover, and uh, he signed them for people. That's so nice. And the the other trigger I remember that like we were um, in I don't remember what it was a panel uh, about six months before the corona stuff and uh, we you you told us something about Gene Roddenberry right you spoke to Gene Roddenberry about something that didn't make sense in uh, the original Star Trek uh, I know what you're talking the about. Elevators. No, it was, it was John John W. Campbell, I was talking about. Oh, right, okay, uh, sorry. This was when I was, just, just when I was at the uh, at the decision stage whether to move to Israel or to, uh, uh, or to continue my studies in the States or to uh, go to Vietnam, which is what the government there wanted me to do. Um, and I, I came to John W. Campbell's office and showed him, uh, showed him my work. And he said, we need artists who can see the, lo- the visual logic of how things are made when they're described by the writers. And he told me, he asked me why, do, can, do I understand why in the Enterprise the elevators go left and down and left and down or whatever in all kinds of directions? And I said, because they go through the floors to uh, different sectors. And he said, no, it's because they, it goes down on a diagonal from the disc at, at the top to the engine rooms at the bottom. And I said, but if it went down on a diagonal, you would see it going not diagonal. It couldn't go right and left, or it would be out in space. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a little nonplussed. But it's, <laughs> it's, it was fun feeling that I had, I had done some outthinking of John W. Campbell. Yeah, that wasn't easy. No, I met. Go ahead. I, I, I met George Lucas once, but I never met him. 
Uh, how did you meet uh, George Lucas? Uh, that was at the uh, was at a film festival in Berkeley. I was studying at the University of California at Berkeley. I dropped out in the middle of third year and came to to, to Israel and finished in B'Tselem. There was a showing at the Cinema Psychedelica, which was mostly amateur films, and uh, including dirty ones uh, that the students had made. And they showed, uh, what was it called, THX, TRX? Um, yeah, his first movie. His first movie, the one about. Yeah, I don't remember what it's called. Something like THX. Yeah, it's crazy robotic stuff. Look. Yeah, well, it, it had a great look to it. It was it was all done in parking lots, and uh, there were some parts uh, that were done in a submarine. Oh. That, uh, he'd gotten permission somehow to use a, a National Guard submarine. And use that for the control center where all the Neskis were keeping track of the escaping man. It was really a brilliant, brilliant job of of uh, zero yeah, means. Though I understand that later, I never saw the final version, which I understand was no big deal. I think it was too experimental. It was too strange uh, at the time. Uh, so I I'd like to to go back with you now in order like can you tell us how you got how you got from the states to israel and what you've done uh in israel well i was uh, i was brought up in these in a in the jewish school system jewish elementary school and a jewish high school we learned some uh, some hebrew though my fellow students at bitzale thought it was very funny when uh, my name was called and I would say Hineni, because oh. uh, the Hebrew that we studied was the Bible and uh, Agnon. And then I went to uh, to Berkeley for school, and the uh, the draft was very intense then. And I uh, just decided that until they finished with this nonsense in Vietnam, I would uh, I would go someplace quiet and friendly among family. Uh, and, and I spent the summer in, in Europe, and then I came to, uh, to Israel and finished my studies in, uh, in Bitsala. And this was like so late 60s? Uh, yeah, 1970. Okay. Right. And so by and that time, that was, then you've already talked to Campbell, you already had uh, ideas about doing science fiction. Yeah, just meeting with him was just when I was, I, I had already basically made up my mind, but uh, I just wanted to to see if I was at a serious level in, in illustration. And I figured I would come back, but I didn't. And how did you get to the, how did you get the science fiction bug? Um, I was in high school. We had a very nice uh, school librarian who, who um, had been told that it was very educational and she should she should buy a few uh, Asimovs and Heinleins and things like that. Though she told me, I remember, uh, that the science fiction business was really very silly. The idea of 19, it was 1963 or four that we're talking about. She said that the idea of going to the moon, human beings getting in spaces and going to the moon, mm. is so ridiculously distant from our reality that it's a silly thing to read. But uh, yeah, I was hooked already in high school, and I had a friend. We did we did a lot of new tune drawings, but also 
I made my uh, pocket change from from babysitting, and there was a pair of very unruly children, uh, the children of the librarian of the University of Pennsylvania, and they were well known, and nobody could control them, nobody could tell them when to go to bed or whatever. Um, and then I saw a copy of The Hobbit open in the kids' room, and it turned out that they were reading the uh, they were reading The Hobbit, and I offered to draw the chapter that they had just gotten up to if they would brush their teeth or wash their faces or go to bed in time, whatever. So that lasted for a couple of years. did a big stack of Lord of the Rings drawings, which is why I, I, I feel that I was a, a professional illustrator, though I was actually, you know, I, I didn't actually get paid by the kids, but I got paid by their parents. So I think that makes me a pro. Mm-hmm. I did send a package, a package of these drawings to, uh, to Tolkien, Oh. And he actually wrote me back a letter. It was t- it was typed but signed by hand, and he said that um, he said that I, he was very impressed that I I seemed to be the first illustrator that understood what he meant by uh, with the with the dwarves, but that my elves were way off, and I would pro- I was probably um, I was probably uh, influenced by the appearance of some la- young lady that I just <laughs> quite true. Very perceptive. Oh, okay. But that, that was a great compliment. What is yeah, it about? My parents the... came to Israel. They lost. They lost that letter, and I never. Oh. It. So, do you still have the the drawing? I, I have some, some Tolkien drawings, not the ones that I sent to him. What do you think it was about the dwarves that you got right that other people missed? Um, people tended at the beginning, before the movies anyway, tended to uh, to draw them cute mm-hmm. and draw them with, with Disney influence. And I just thought that they were um, they were short. But in you know, if they're fighting each other, they're they're fearsome warriors. Also, I don't remember if who one of the one of the Uh, elf noble women one time refers to a dwarf as luck bearer and I thought of of the um, I thought of the dwarf as having a lock of hair shaved with but with a lock of hair at the top and that already made him sort of um, a sort of hunnish or uh, Asian in some way so that was how I did the costumes Oh, that's interesting. So, once you got to Israel, how did your path continue? You well, I was to, studying you, in Bitsa. Yeah, Bitsa and then Berkeley, right? Berkeley first. No, I went, oh. I went to Berkeley, Berkeley from, from after high school from age 17 to 20, and then I came to Israel when I was 20 and finished Bitsa. Yeah, I met Amos Geffen by chance. I just got interested to see if anybody was doing anything in science fiction and I I got to do one cover which I think was actually not not printed in the end uh, for iRobot I think it took a few years before I met Uri Sandach of Odensea um, and he was firm about not using bought artwork from England or from the States or whatever and doing original original covers for novels 
So I did quite a few for him. That was great fun. Wasn't much of a living because they couldn't afford to pay much because small country, small readership. Sure. But uh, but it was fun. Oh, I did I did one thing for um, a Sifriyata Walim Amuved. I did a, a collection of short stories for Amuved. Somebody showed me uh, his copies and got a, an autograph from me a few years ago in the uh, in the icon that told me it's in the collector's items. Two books. It was in two volumes, sort of yellowish tone. Um, and one is a is a human astronaut, and the other is a an alien astronaut, and they're meeting for the first time in a, in a on a strange planet. I was happy with it. Was another thing about that was that I understood that I have to do that if I want to get shiny spaceships, smoke effects, and things like that. I have to have an air an airbrush, mm-hmm. and that was the first thing. That was the first piece I did in, in a borrowed airbrush from a friend, and then I got my own. And uh, I was very dependent on the airbrush for many years until computers came, computers came along. When did computers come along? When did you start using computers for this? Um, in the 90s. First, there were things that were just good enough quality for uh, for games, for 480 pixels or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it slowly, slowly developed, and then Photoshop came along. Actually, there was an Israeli computer, a Scotch-born Israeli uh, who uh, created a uh, painting software called Laser Paint, which was better than Photoshop. Um, but our bad luck was that um, the developer of Photoshop, uh, Thomas Knoll, um, met uh, George Lucas, and George Lucas said it's this digital manipulation of images thing looks promising, so they gave him a million dollars to develop Photoshop, so laser paint was uh, shot out of the water. Wow. Otherwise, pioneers of digital imaging. Of course, it was Cytex. Cytex uh, contributed a lot to, uh, to Photoshop and to everything that was being done digitally. So, just imagine how different things could be. This kind of thing happens all the time. Uh, one thing is chosen over the other because of uh, certain circumstances. At the time, there weren't a lot of uh, science fiction books, so there weren't a lot of covers to do, right? Right. It was being done a lot in the world. There was also, uh, that was the the time uh, that uh, Dragons and Dungeons was getting started, Wizards of the Coast. Mm. Um, There was a a whole big appetite for it. for part of the imagination happening in the world, but Israel was just too small in that kind. So how, how did you get on? How did you keep doing uh, illustrations? I illustrate mostly news, which is stranger than science fiction, politics, uh, what ha- what's happening in the real world, cartoon, a, political cartoons. It's less believable than like science fiction.
the fact that the world didn't end in year 2000 and it was supposed to happen. It was supposed to happen on uh, Kibbutz Megiddo, which is the actual the real Armageddon. Hmm. And there was a reason it, it didn't happen there, right? There was a, a war started or there were attacks? Yeah, some stupid war. I think it was Robert Silverberg or somebody who said that uh, uh, I notified everybody that Armageddon come. Armageddon has been has been cancelled on account of the end of the world. So I sent this exhibit to uh, to Armageddon Con through to Icon Worldcon and through a friend of a friend and um, Rania Davis bought one of the paintings. It's uh, the off again on again. Life of Avram Davidson. A couple of years later, I was invited to do a cover for a collection of Avram Davidson's Jewish stories, which was published by an Israeli publisher. It's Papani. Uh-huh. And recently, um, Avram Davidson's son uh, got in contact with me, wants to put out a complete set of the writings of Avram Davidson, both in uh, in on tape and, and in books. So I got to do, it's an ongoing project, I got to do a few, a few covers uh, for Avram Davidson books, which is very exciting. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about Avram Davidson for people who don't know who he is? Avram Davidson uh, was a Jewish-American writer. Um, he spent World War II in the army and when he got out, he came to Israel. He manages to get listed in some lists of Israeli science fiction writers. Uh-huh. Um, but he really only wrote a few stories, and then he went back to the, to the States, grew a large beard, and was a, uh, a presence in the science fiction community in America. Um, it turns out that when I was at Berkeley, he was living in, uh, in San Francisco in Haight-Ashbury. And I probably passed him by a hundred times without knowing that this guy with the great big hmm. prophetic beard was Edward Davidson. He's a, he's a writer's writer, very, very sophisticated, very complex, um, very funny. Anybody who's listening who gets a chance to read this and Robert Davidson should, should do so. So how did you get to the 10th dimension? Did, um, how did people know to ask you that you love science fiction and you would be the guy to do it? Is it Amos Geffen? Well, it starts with my wife, all her fault, uh, mm-hmm. noticing a small, uh, small notice in the newspaper that there's going to be an organizing meeting of the Science Fiction Society. And she said, here, there's some crazy people like you. And I came along and I brought with me a uh, portfolio that I'd done in my spare time of um, Bible stories. They were all stories, I, I called them, I called it the series Alien Corn, um, Alien Maidens in the Bible. There's a link to it in my website. And um, the idea was that the all the fun, interesting, women in the Bible are all aliens. That is, they're Midianites or Egyptians or anything but Israelites. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's a Pavlovian reaction here that you say aliens. Of course, I don't think about 
registered alien, came from Mexico to America. Um, aliens are aliens. They have pointy ears and they're green and stuff like that. So I did this whole series about all the um, the female characters in the Bible who were not Israelites, and I had the non-Israelites as aliens. But aliens, not not hardcore aliens. Aliens like Star Trek aliens with pointy ears or funny things on their yeah, on their faces or funny noses or whatever. And they were a little bit naughty because the Bible is a very naughty book. People try to forget that. And it's not it's um, not usually the way people look at it, yes. And it was this great meeting where Amos Geffen and Emmanuel and um Wait, Emmanuel Lottim will also be a guest. Yes, okay. Uh, and the, the guest of honor was now, I, I have a metal block here, um, Thomas Tisch. Thomas Tisch was the guest of honor and gave a, a lovely speech. And towards the end, I sort of pushed my way to the, uh, to the center of, of the action and opened the portfolio and showed people, <coughs> showed people the, uh, the Aliens series. It was a great deal of enthusiasm. Everybody wanted to see it. <clears throat> and then when they, you know, they asked me if I could, the, the first, uh, first, the first issue of the Tenth Dimension had been very boring, and they asked me if I would, on a volunteer basis, if I would take on this job of doing a painting every uh, every quarter. And I did for years. It was great. Yeah, it was. It was a great and wait, before I have a. a not a question about the tenth dimension, but before that, I was in that Thomas Dish uh, 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 audience. My, I was uh, eighteen years old, and my grandmother saw in the newspaper there's something science fiction, and I know you write science fiction, and you're writing a book now. And she dragged me there, and I, uh, uh, and then she tried to push me to uh, to him to say, "Hey, he also writes." Uh, uh, books. Uh, of course, I didn't have, I didn't read my first book by then, but I was trying to write it. And I think he said, hello. And that's it. <laughs> but uh, his, uh, his speech was really nice. Yes. So of the 10th uh, dimension, right. one of the 10th dim dimension covers was for, um, for Thomas Tisch's death, suicide. Oh, I did it. I did a little toaster crying. Huh. That's that's nice. What what other like memorable uh, covers do you like? Do you most remember? Well, there was that Neil Gaiman one. There was another Neil Gaiman. Another thing for Neil Gaiman, <laughs> where I show the uh, the whole cast of uh, the whole Sandman, the whole Sandman cast. Arriving in uh, in Ben Gurion Airport, with its characteristic pillars, and they're pushing their uh, their basket, their uh, their trolleys with the suitcases. Coming through the airport to Israel. Yeah, that was when obviously when came and came. To, yeah, to I speak. I remember that one. Anything else that you know jumps to mind that you want to mention? Well, there was there was the last one. Aliens from uh, from the Simpsons 
comic shop and they're looking at shelves and in sh as the shelves I, I put all the various covers of, uh, of the 10th dimension that we've done. Mm. Touching. I'm hoping to get started on a fantasy, uh, a graphic novel with a fantasy theme. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't talk about that too much until it's there on paper. <laughs> okay, I see on Facebook you, you publish uh, uh, political um, illustrations. Yeah, well, most of what my my day job, as it were, has been political cartoons, political mm -hmm. illustrations. Every once in a while, when I have something that I really like, I post it. Also, Facebook does this thing of showing you something that you uploaded five years ago or ten years ago or something. So sometimes I. I re repost that, mm -hmm. share it, that I enjoy. Is there anything you think uh, we forgot to cover or that you want uh, to mention before we go? Something I, that I, I think is memorable that I did in, in a way of science fiction mm -hmm. is the covers for the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. Just because the English and American paperback issues were just a big green ball smiling and sticking its tongue out and I, I put a lot more effort in it and made these comments about the book in the covers and I did a series of the uh, first four books as a sort of ongoing um, triptych or a quadriptych you put the books next to each other they make one big painting people know this know this cover but I, they always refuse to believe that I did it because I said, no, this is the original cover. This is the real one. <laughs> I have to show them my uh, my signature in the corner. Mm -hmm. And one time the fandom got to the to the extreme that saw, that I saw someone on a beach in Tel Aviv with a tattoo okay. uh, on his shoulder of uh, my Arthur Dent floating in his uh, in his nightgown. There is hardly a bigger compliment than that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much to Avi Katz for giving us his time and for all the stories. Uh, the All the links to Avi Katz are in the show notes. You can see some of the illustrations he's talking about. And let me remind you that we have uh, three episodes coming up next week. Episodes come out Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, highlighting and continuing to highlight the less highlighted parts of geekery and geekdom. The nice part about doing this uh, podcast is that I have three weeks of interviews ahead of time, so I know what's coming and I can't tell you. <laughs> You'll just have to wait and see. So I will see you next time. For now, check out geekdomimpowers.com. If you want to email me about this episode or anything, I'm guy.hasson, that's H-A-S-S-O-N, at geekdomimpowers.com. Guy.hasson at geekdomimpowers.com. I will see you next time. Bye-bye.